Adam here, and uh, Harry is here as well. Um, your username is Red Space Card. Red Card. What's the What's the origin of that? Well, I play soccer, mm-hmm. and I used to coach soccer. Yep. And uh, when I played soccer, I was kind of notorious getting a few red cards, uh, <laughs> more dissent uh, against the uh, the coaches or yep. uh, the, uh, the referees. Mm-hmm. So I just adopted that. Yeah. Um, I, from a more technical standpoint, Adventure Rider supports like two words, but it seems like it wouldn't make sense that it would support two words when I'm trying to tag you and I type red. And then I, I would think, I always assume in my head, like the base way programmers work, I assume by putting a space in, it starts a new query. So I don't expect it to actually auto fill out red card. And then every single time, I'm like, oh, it actually does work. And I don't think it's going to work every time I go to tag you. And it's just something I, so I usually type red and then scroll through all the red usernames to find you. Is there quite a few? There's like 10 maybe. Okay. But you're not, because there's a space, you're at the bottom of the list. I guess that makes sense. You don't tag yourself. Um, so I, I, I think, well, I, I haven't really given you the premise of this podcast, but, but basically the thought process is just chatting about yourself. Uh, I like a little bit of origin story, maybe what you are writing now, uh, trips you want to go on, those kind of things. So anything you want to kind of say about yourself before we um, get started. Cool. Yeah. Um, grew up in Western Pennsylvania, uh, an area of the uh, state that uh, was... Uh, close to Allegheny National Park. And uh, growing up there, there's a lot of, uh, lot of opportunity for riding. So I started riding at a very young age, you know, a little mini bike around the yard, and then, uh, you know, progressed up to a DR100, and then a, a 125YZ. And we had a, a good group of uh, friends and uh, uh, riders that we just connect with on a weekly basis. You know, we'd go out and disappear into the woods. And that's kind of how it all started, you know, just uh, at a very young age. I even started throwing backpacks on and then disappearing over the weekend, mm-hmm. you know, go camping in the forest. And uh, it was great fun, you know, things that uh, I'd do back then that I would probably cringe if my kids ever did it, you know. It was like, where are they? What are they doing? And uh, But, you know, we were kind of a wild bunch uh, growing up and, uh, you know, not hooligans, you know, racing down the street every day. But, you know, we... <laughs> We were kind of notorious for, you know, getting the police um, chasing us and having having a good time that way. Was it you that told me that story that you had a like a local uh, cop that had pulled you over or something because you didn't have a license and you had kind of gotten a free pass? Was that the story? Yeah, I've gotten a couple free passes from the very nice police officers around Bradford, Pennsylvania over the years. Uh, But yeah, we had, uh, you know, we had fun and. And there were times where we got a little out of, out of hand, you know, doing hole shots and wheelies down Main Street and looking to get caught and they were chased. And there was one one time I was uh, by myself and I got chased around town, ran a few red lights and, uh, and then disappeared off into the side roads. And of course, my uh, CR500 didn't have a headlight on it because it was all set up for racing. Um, but I ended up wiping out on a, a, a back road and then I stalled the bike and... It was one of those times where you think, oh, shit, this isn't going to turn out well. And I ended up pushing the bike across the, the road, ditched it, and then jumped across the other side of the road and tried to hide in the bushes. And I thought it was free and clear, yep. but the, the cop obviously saw me. He pulled up and uh, hollered. You know, I watched him. He went around to the front of the car and leaned up against the car. Real cool character. And he said, you can come out now. And I thought, oh, 
<laughs> there's no way he saw me. And, and as I waited and waited, and, and then he, he said, I see you down there. You can come out now. So I, I walked up to the front of the car, and he goes, you know, if it wasn't for your hot pink motocross pants, I probably wouldn't have seen you jump over the bank. <laughs> uh, so, the, you know, they uh, took in my bike and took me down to the police station. I was only 16 at the time. Uh, but, yeah. Called my parents in, you know, he, he was a pretty cool guy. He said, you don't, I only saw you run a few red lights, but, uh, you know, we'll just get you for one. <laughs> so were your parents, his parents uh, encouraging or discouraging of your, your hobby? Um, my hobby of uh, motocross racing, they supported me. Um, I, of course, had to have a job and pay for everything myself. Yep. But they didn't stop me. Um, you know, the legal activity of running around town uh, without a license and uh, on a dirt bike was not encouraged by any sense of the imagination. But I was last of six kids, so oh. my, my, my parents were pretty well broken in by the time I... They and everything. They were... By the time I came around, there's nothing that I could have done that my siblings I hadn't already topped. Right, right. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's a really... I mean, my, my, I guess my younger sister is the third... And uh, not that they don't give a shit of it. It's not that's not ex- those extreme stance, but like it's she has a lot more passes than we had. Especially me being first, it's like everything's got to be perfect. Yeah, yeah. And, and I was higher like, higher bar. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then you know <clears throat> once my second sister came along, and then the third sister is like, oh, you're fine. Just you know, there's nothing you can do that we haven't already seen. Um, yeah, I, I, I it's weird for me to talk because I feel like most of the guys I talk to. You know, and usually it's but in between riding rides because we always go out riding together. Everyone's kind of in their own helmet, which th- that's why I like the sport so much. Is you're kind of in your own space while you're social, but then you know, you're stopping for a pee break or a gas break or just taking the sights. And I feel like everyone that I ride with started really young, relative. I mean, I started at 29, so it's like I, I not only are you guys better riders, but you also had a lot of your mistakes mattered less because you didn't have to go to work the next day. Your bones were bendable. You, you know, the, the bikes were cheap. You know, those kind of things were, it's kind of, uh, not that I'm jealous, but like, I, I certainly wish I could have started much younger mm-hmm. than I, I did. Um, how do you, how do you keep, how do you keep motorcycling exciting? You know, and, and of course you're, you're kind of, I feel like you're wired now to love it and to, to and maybe it's even more important to you now later in your life than it was when you were younger because it's kind of now seen as a stress reducer and escape. But what, what keeps it exciting for you? Is it, is it hearing about other people's rides? Is it a new bike? Is it a, a new trip? What, what's that for you? Yeah, it's a number of things. Uh, and great question, by the way. Um, you know, when I think about what keeps me excited about motorcycle riding, particularly venture riding, you know, it's planning the trip. Mm-hmm. and thinking about it and then researching how other people have gone the routes or the places that I want to go. Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, that's exciting, you know, the planning part of it and then actually doing it. Yeah. And as much as I love spending time with my wife and family, mm-hmm. well, this is time away from that. And it's good to step away once in a while. And, you know, I've been married 25 years uh, and have three kids. So it's it's, you know, opportune time for me to, to disappear for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's obviously a lot of fun. They get a little nervous about it. Um, and my family does, but you know, that's all part and parcel. And I've waited 25 years. Uh, you know, I stopped riding for 25 oh. years, uh, to raise a family. And mm-hmm. now that uh, we're empty nesters, you know, I, I figured, well, it's a good time to get back into it. A l- yeah. little bit less, uh, uh concern, mm-hmm. um, now that my kids are grown. Yeah. 
but my wife's very supportive of, uh, of me doing my thing, and she does her thing. You know, she'll go on holidays on her own, and mm-hmm. uh, I'll do mine. But we also have fun together and do things together. So that's, you know, the exciting part of it is, you know, I think, mostly the planning part. Yeah. I know it might sound a little weird, but, mm-hmm. you know, I, I enjoy planning and getting the bike ready and getting all my gear ready and doing the research, making sure I'm getting the right stuff, you know, and finding that balance also between, you know, I could spend a lot of money on this gear and really get a good bike, or I can just do this and this and this and get by. And, yeah. and you know, you don't have to have the, the greatest stuff to have an adventure. Right. Uh, and that's where I'm trying to strike that balance when I... When I well, it's weird now because if you rewind back to the 90s, and, it, and it, this is me coming from the geek angle of, like, loving computers and loving technology, in the 90s, my only outlet to that world was, like, magazines. And, like, so if you were really a big Enduro fan and you didn't have this certain cable package or satellite package or, like, you weren't bootlegging tapes from your friend of, like, Enduro competitions or, like, or like for me, it was surfing videos. Like, you know, the same surfing tape would get copied 40 times because we couldn't all buy the same VHS or the magazine would get passed around. It's, like, we're kind of lucky now that, you know, versus 1995 to 2019, it's, like, you don't have to – now, you won't experience it, but you don't have to ride the tat to know exactly what it's like as long as you have enough time to spend – following GPS routes, looking at pictures online, reading ride reports. I mean, you can you can know what you're going to get into minus mechanical issues before you even leave. Do you feel like that sort of um, uh, makes it less of an adventure, or do you find that that's just a way for those of us that have day jobs to sort of just bide the time until we actually get on those rides? It's, it's a little bit of both. You know, if you research a particular route too much, yeah, you could – take some of the surprises out of the adventure mm-hmm. um but then again it, you never know what you're going to encounter you know you could have bike problems and then or meet a, you know some really interesting people along mm-hmm. the way and i think that's part of the adventure is slowing down getting to meet people you know having conversations with locals yep. uh, and that's equally as part of the fun but yeah I, you know, back in the day when i started riding we didn't have youtube we didn't you know we had dirt biker magazine and things yeah. like that and do you spend your money, you know, fixing up your bike, or do you, you know, occasionally buy a magazine? Um, yeah. But you didn't have those kind of resources that you have today. So there is a, you know, that area where you could perhaps over-research it and, mm-hmm. uh, and learn too much about the adventure and potentially take some aspects out of that, uh, the unknown aspects yeah. out of it. Or you can just wing it. And, you know, sometimes I'll even wing it. Just mm-hmm. hop on the bike and, and, and disappear for a few days yeah. and not really plan things out. And either way, I, I'm having a great time. Anytime I uh, throw the leg over the bike and, and take off, you know, it's, it's, it's a fun time. There are those curmudgeons that are, you know, I call it curmudgeons because I, I've, I fall into that sometimes too with technology that, you know, it, yeah, sure, it was really nice, you know, back in your day, which, you know, either 10 or 20 years ago, like, oh, it's really nice to say that, like, you know, the web was better in 98 because we had less people and there was less, you know, everyone was tech savvy. So, like, the risk of someone, you know, uh, retweeting fake news or favoriting something or posting something was less because we were all a little more savvy about the web in general. It's it's nice to be romantic about that, but then you think about the just saying motorcycling. You know the, the advantages that we've had nowadays. It's it's kind of amazing that you can be on the side of the road somewhere, and with relatively good chance that you'll have a cell phone service to call someone or to watch a video or pull up a PDF on how to fix it, even if you didn't fix it before. And then those those kind of things. You know that that's less people are certainly dying mm-hmm. <laughs> as motorcyclists, uh, especially with all the satellite communicators we have now. And, and you could be curmudgeon and sort of say, well, it was better back then, but 
you know, progress is always positive, you know, in, over a, a 10 year span. Uh, there was a, 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 a podcast I listened to in Back to Tech only because I try to, I, I, since I didn't write as a young guy, I don't have that point of reference. Hmm. But, you know, year over year, technology doesn't really iterate that much. Like last year's phone is not as good as this year's phone. But if you, if you do a 10 year span, it's amazing how it's changed in 10 years. Like 10 years ago, um, ABS on bikes was really rare. Um, um, fuel injection was a thing, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't as mainstream as it was now. You've got, you know, still dealing with car problems. Uh, the, the kind of chains, the O-ring chains we have now for bikes have, have gotten really better where they're super reliable and last thousands of miles. You know, the bike, the LEDs for seeing ahead of you or being seen, the, the, the safety world of bikes is steadily better than it was 10 years ago. I think most people agree with that. Yeah. It's come a long way, and you know when you talk about some of the uh, technology, particularly in GPSs and uh, satellite tracking, you know that, that's a great system to have. You know, and in fact, I was uh, talking with a gentleman earlier today uh, about uh, the Garmin InReach Explorer. You know, and do I get a Mini? Do I get an Explorer? And we were talking pros and cons of uh, both, uh, particularly for this upcoming ride I'm going to do out west this summer. Um, you know, just to having the peace of mind that you know. With the flip of button, you can get emergency service. Yeah, yeah. you're going to be paying through the nose oh, yeah. when they arrive, yes. but it could save your life. <laughs> yeah. But just having that ability is, is huge. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, one of the times when I was, I think it was probably 14, I disappeared into the Allegheny National Park for about uh, two days. And it was a, a day longer than I exp- was supposed to. I was supposed mm-hmm. to come go in, camp all up come back out. But what happened while you were there? Are you just having a good time or did you have a mechanical problem? I went down over uh, a bank and oh. I couldn't get the bike back out. And so I was, you know, miles and miles from anywhere. Yeah. And uh, eventually I hiked out and mm-hmm. found somebody that I can use a landline and call home. And my, my parents were obviously worried about me, uh, yeah. not knowing. And yeah. uh, being solo out there by myself, um, it was concerning. And mm-hmm. had I had technology like that you know obviously they can see exactly where i'm at and even today with my cell phone uh with my wife i use uh, an app called life 360 mm-hmm. and so as long as i have cell phone coverage she can, she can see where i'm at yeah and that's a little peace of mind yeah um but in, obviously in parts of the world or parts of the country where there's no service uh, excuse me having yep. uh, uh satellite communication is is, is yeah, very good the, idea the, the only story and i, I want to get into you know your your 2020 trips in a second, but I, the story of 2018 on the TransLab, whenever I crashed the second time, <laughs> no, first time, it wasn't a crash. You, we always, you, people, people, my girlfriend defines crash as you were moving and the bike fell over, but you know, you and I understand that crash can really means you need to be at speed. I, you know, probably on tarmac or at least in a situation where the bike is down a hill and, and you're probably injured, those kind of things, you know, more, it's a, it's a, it's a scale of crash. Um, either way I went down and when I went down, I wasn't really sure, you know, you have to assess yourself and then assess the bike and then sort of figure out, okay, what do we do next? Are we good? And the bike, I got the bike upright and I didn't yet know if the bike was going to start, but I also didn't know if, you know, you know, my health, things don't show up for a few hours. Sometimes mm-hmm. your adrenaline's pumping or just, it's, it's some kind of a thing that just didn't hit you until that evening or the next morning. So the first thing I thought of was my girlfriend and I just sent her a message through InReach that, you know, I crashed bike looks great. There's no, nothing's falling off of it. I feel fine. Here's my location. Just, just in case, cause someone may not know how to use that thing and we're not going to have cell phone service for a couple more days. And, uh, 
obviously she was appreciative that I did that, but at the same time she was like, she looked at the, the Google maps and she looked at the r- drive from our house to the trans Labrador North side or the Nova Scotia, Newfoundland South side. And where I was, was the exact center point from both directions. There was no, there was no other way other than go pick up, pick a route and go that way. Probably a three, three day drive, no matter which way you went, right? She's like, that is the worst place that you could have crashed. But it was the only, it was a section that they are about to pave. So what's happening a couple of years ago was every day they were, they were grading it basically. And they were paving a section, grading it. So I went over a section that had just been graded and I, 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 slid over a little six inch tall gravel hill that the guy had yet to come through with the grader. And I just hit that and the bike went from under me and, you know, I slid up a few feet. Um, but you know, the, the, if given that everything worked out fine in the end, I very well could have just kept going on my journey, never had told her at all. And she never would have known, which if you rewind five or 10 years, that's how it would have been. But then what if, you know, she gets a message when the guys get to Newfoundland that, you know, Adam died on the way to Newfoundland two days mm-hmm. ago. And by the way, here's his location. Go get him. You know, that's that that would suck. Um, so I guess it's, it's it's pros and cons, right? Yeah. Having real time information can have its advantages. Yeah. Or disadvantages. Well, there's a, there's a, you know, there are the crash alerts now on some of the cars where you, you connect to your phone. And if you do crash and an airbag deploys, it texts your your um, your next up can to let them know your location, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I've heard that a uh, gentleman actually invented a device that goes on a helmet oh. uh, because uh, he had a friend that was injured uh, like a year prior uh, mm-hmm. to him creating this device. And it, as soon as it recognizes that there's a certain level of impact on the helmet yeah. sensor, it immediately calls you know uh, 911. Um, no, okay. I, I saw something, uh, I was reading something, it popped up in my Facebook at one point. Cool. Uh, it's amazing how Facebook will yeah, find you, things for you. Even but you can be on a solo solo ride and 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 you know go around in a corner and crash and you're you're in a place where no one can see you and you're knocked unconscious and every moment matters to get you to a hospital or get you like revived and so you're just laying there and it's great to know that your your phone is messaging you know your wife or spouse mm-hmm. or whoever. Um, and and then and back to the airbag thing. I mean, there's there's also that negative of airbags go off. By design, often, you know, when they don't have to because, well, the risk of not going off is obviously worse than it going off. It wants to save your life versus have an expensive repair bill. But when an airbag goes off, it may not mean that you had a, a catastrophic crash either. So it might be an alarming text for your wife to get that your your helmet, you know, and you, you may yeah. be trying to get yourself together and not be checking your phone at all. And your sin is turned off and you don't even know she's calling you frantically when, mm-hmm. so that, but I, I, I yeah, think you drop your helmet on the ground on the way to the bike or something. <laughs> and then you go in and get some lunch and then you come Do back and there's an ambulance. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, that, 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 that risk of not having it is far greater. Um, so you're, you, when I first met you, you had the CSC. Um, what, what's the update on that? bike and maybe you can fill people that don't know about city cycles yeah yeah uh, the csc is an imported brand um a company called zongshen actually makes that product and they make a lot of motorcycles i once heard they make a, a million motorcycles a year and ship them wow. around the world and when i was in brazil a couple of years ago i saw these all over the place and i think oh you know if, if all these people can ride them and, and do it cheaply well, then maybe that's the way I should re-enter the, the yeah. riding market. Uh, and 
So I bought one. I used one from a, a gentleman not too far from here, and uh, you know, I spent very little money on it, and you know, it got me around for two years. Because new, they're like five grand or something. Yeah, uh, they're like uh, they've creeped up a little bit. So the RX three is, I think, now going for about four grand. Okay. You know, and it was complete. Yeah, you know, I had the panniers, right. I had crash bars. Uh, These are single two fifties, but they're fuel injected. Correct. But no ABS or any sort of doohickeys. No, okay. no upside down force. So, and it it got me around, and it, it was a Cheap way to get back into riding, and um, I never had my motorcycle's license mm-hmm. um, growing up. Yep. You know, I always just did things illegally. <laughs> and, and, so and at what for, age, if you don't mind revealing, what, what age did you actually go get your endorsement? If you have to riding for so many years, like... Well, uh, I was at, uh, what, 49 when I okay. finally got my license. Even and, though you've been riding for tw- 25, 30 years. Yes. Or 20 years, yeah. Yeah, well, like I said, I, I stopped for 25 years, Okay. So. Um, but anyway, it was yeah. a, a, a great entry level bike. In fact, I still have it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to get it repaired because I, I screwed it up at Cro-Mag and it, I, I pushed it a lot harder than probably most people would mm-hmm. a bike like that. Um, and at that rally, I was really pushing the bike. And so I never properly fixed it. I went out and, uh, bought a 690 yeah. KTM and that bike's more suited for my riding style. Yeah. Um, but I, I want to get that bike repaired. In fact, I talked to a local repair shop this week. He's going to look at it. I, right now, it's not getting any spark. But it, anyway, I think it is a low-cost repair. Well, obviously, it's a cheap bike. <laughs> All well, the you, parts are really cheap. But what's the, the worst that could happen, though, would be the email CSC, and they're not in SoCal. The importer, right, is not in SoCal. Right. And, and you could buy a motor probably for what, $500 or something like that. It wouldn't be that expensive to just replace the motor completely if you had to. Right. Well, the motor top end was re- rebuilt. I put oh, it back in the okay. bike uh, last spring, okay. and uh, I still couldn't get a spark. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, it's something electrical. Uh, but anyway, the, I think it's probably something really simple, yeah. um, a center somewhere that uh, isn't working, mm-hmm. or maybe it's a computer. But anyway, we'll, we'll get it fixed, and I'm going to teach my son how to ride, who's uh, now 18, on that bike. So I figured it worked out oh, well yeah. for me. And for sure. if he dumps it and crashes it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's, <laughs> it doesn't cost hardly anything to repair. I, I feel like we, we, whenever we would ride with you, the only the only other time we noticed the CST's limitations was on like, we're already going 50 miles an hour and it's a really steep hill, hill and you just acknowledge, hey guys, I'm not going to blast at this hill because it just is not suited for this sort of thing. Because you also had your camping gear and everything on it too. It was not, it was fully loaded up. Yeah. But other than that, that thing went everywhere that the, the KLR went, the GS went, the Beta went. I mean, it, it's all based on rider skill, too, and you obviously have skill, so it's, you know, the bike isn't doing all the work. But it, it didn't really seem like it was limited limit, limit at all. No, I was quite happy with how it performed, you know, and I didn't have high expectations of that yeah. bike. Yeah. Um, but like I said, it served the need. And it did get me around some interesting places. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that didn't have the greatest ground clearance, but, you know, put a skid plate on it and just blast through it and, and the headlight yeah. was weak you put a little couple leds on there from like ebay or something and those work great yeah i actually in. put an led headlight in oh. to replace the original yeah. and then some uh, led uh, pods on the oh yeah crash you also bars. had your uh, your blinkers with the turn signals too those, those were really nice yeah i'd uh, taken the uh bark busters and drilled out a couple of holes and put yeah. a longer strip of leds for the turn signals both mm-hmm. on the front and on the back panniers yeah uh, just for visibility purposes yeah. it, it, uh, it does work it definitely works yeah. And, 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 you know, that bike, I've looked into it. It's a crate bike, right? If you order one, they'll send you like a, they'll mail it to you because there's no really de- dealer network in the, in this area. So you just, exactly. you just get in the mail. It shows up your house on a back of a flatbed or freight truck. Yeah. And in about three hours, you'd have it assembled and mm. up and riding. 
Yeah. And it's, it's weird on their website because they, they do financing now. And I'm like, I, I, <laughs> if, you, if you have to finance a, a Chinese 250, you might have bigger problems. That's but, right. Uh, yeah. I, I've, I've looked at their, uh, they've got a, um, uh, they're doing electric bikes now, CSC. They've got like an electric line. I saw that. Yeah. I, I thought about grabbing one just because it's not, it's not an adventure bike. It's a 40 to 60 mile range bike, but you know, it's street legal and, and you, you just need your endorsement and you can ride it to and from work. And you know, how, how badly can it go wrong? I guess it's just one DC motor and a, a, a drivetrain. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, that, that, it's, 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 there's a lot of, there's a, there's a lot of guys that haven't ridden the kind of, that kind of bike that, you know, just totally denounce it. You know, it's a, it's a cheap, shitty bike, but then you know, guys that own them, it, it, it worked, right? It was a couple of years you wrote it you know, yeah. and, and you Two put years. a lot of miles on it. 15, yeah. About, thousand? Uh, about 10,000. Yeah. 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 And, uh, Easy to work on, you know. It's it's kind of my bike to work on. Uh, mm-hmm. Real simple engine, real simple uh, components. Yeah. Um, and it was like I said, a, a great way to get back into riding. So if mm-hmm. there's anybody out there that's hen humming about getting into riding and don't want to pull the trigger and buy expensive bike, well, you might want to consider one of the low cost imported or leave models your house and just have it come to your front door. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, the low cost imports, and I probably wouldn't go out and buy one new like that. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, buying a second hand and, and getting next to nothing, it was, I think, a good good way to go. Um, yeah. A little risk involved in it, and it, my biggest concern was riding with traffic. Uh, yeah. You know, like I said, I never had my dri- uh, my motorcycle license, mm-hmm. and therefore I never was around driving around cars or riding yep. around cars. So I wasn't sure how I'd feel about that, and mm-hmm. whether I'd actually go and get my license or just buy another dirt bike. But uh, I really wanted to go on long adventures. And uh, obviously, it's hard to do that on a dirt bike unless you're trailering it everywhere. Yeah, that's what I found. It's, 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 it, it's, it's a cliche to say that you need one more bike. But you know, in my situation, I, I, I absolutely love the huge adventure bike, whether that be the a 1290 to some people or a Super Tenere is at 1200 or 1000 or, or the GS or GS Adventure, or maybe that means that you're uh, riding a, um, uh, what's another big, you know, 1300cc bike, uh, like a Ducati Multistrada or one of the, you know, that, that bike is so, that, that platform, and no matter who makes it, is so great because you have the cruise control and the heated grips and all the cornering ABS. And if you want to go from like, you know, New Hampshire to New Mexico, it's amazing for that because no matter what road you find yourself on, it's fun. But then there are all the roads in Vermont that we have in Maine that we have in New Hampshire that really need a, a small enduro bike. But then there's those days when we do the hamster. I've done the hamster on the GSA and the Beta 500. It was a hell of a lot more fun on the Beta 500. But then the following day, slabbing at home really sucked. And like, <laughs> I kind of, and I, I can't afford to pay someone to meet me at the trailhead in the mm-hmm. end to pick up my bike for me. But that's kind of, you know, so I feel like the 690, you know, while it's still more of a dual sport, it leans more the, you know, uh, 65% dual sport, 35 or whatever the math is, uh, you know, adventure bike. Um, it's, it's hard to find those bikes that you can slab it all day and then take a really gnarly trail. Cause I, when I rode with uh, you and Jackton off road, I was really glad to have the beta mm-hmm. without a doubt. Um, but that's local. That wasn't a big problem, but I, I, I want to do the Northeast BDR and I want to do it on the beta because that, that would be so much more fun. I just know that that seven or 10 hour ride home on the beta is going to be like the worst day of it. Um, it's, it's, so it's a pro and con. Yeah. I, and I think for you, I, in my opinion, you found the right bike for your riding style because you do tend to stay local and you prefer the gnarly over the slab. And so that's, that's, that's your, 
style. Absolutely. You know, I, I really don't like riding on the slab, yeah. and I try to avoid the highway mm-hmm. at all costs. Um, but when I am on, on pavement, you know, I'm usually pretty cautious about who's around me and what I'm doing. But it's the dirt, and it's yeah. a single track that I just love. And that 690 is a great bike for both. Uh, you know, get a good seat on the 690 when I put the seat concept on there. Yep. Uh, it's perfect. Um, it's a good multi-purpose bike. You know, I feel comfortable going long distances. I, you know, I rode the 690 from Bangor, Maine, all the way home in a pouring rain. Um, no windscreen at the time, right? No windscreen. <laughs> and it was, it, it was pretty heavy rain. But it, it felt comfortable, you know. I, I wish I had heated grips and, and oh, better yeah. riding gear at the time, but the bike did superbly. Well, the alternator could could support heated grips if you wanted it to. It's a pretty good, decent. Yes. It's not like a dirt bike alternator. Correct. Yeah, it, it it would support it, no doubt. And you know, when I did the research, um, you know, I, I bought it secondhand, but the bike only had twenty five hundred miles on it, and so I know I was getting a good platform because uh, I, I looked at people's posts and mm-hmm. I saw how versatile. The 690 is, yeah. and uh, it's, it feels like a dirt bike under me, you know, yeah. uh, when I'm on it. Mm-hmm. But I've seen that people take them around the world. Yeah. You know, they're very versatile bikes, particularly, oh, yeah. and that's one of the shortcomings of this bike is the small tank. You got about 3.2 okay. gallon tank, so you're only going to go about 150 miles on it before yeah. you're sucking wind. But mm-hmm. anyway, um, people put larger tanks on them, and that's something I'll probably consider in the future Yeah, uh, for the longer hauls. Yeah. And, and, what I've seen a lot, and I, I got to pull up the math, and I can't do it now. But but there was a debate on the beta subforum because in the four stroke beta subforum adventure rider, there was a guy that was those betas come with true enduro tanks, like one point two gallons or something like that. Um, and the most popular upgrade for us, obviously, is the two, three, four gallon upgrades. And someone finally called IMS and said, "Hey, what's the difference between the three gallon weight and the four gallon weight empty?" Because there's an argument of, well, if you don't like how heavy this big ass safari tank is, just don't fill it as high for your single track work because mm-hmm. you're not gonna, you, you know, that way you don't have that 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 fifty fifty split get upset. And because the four gallon is so large, it's like a seven or eight ounce difference between the three gallon and four gallon empty because they had to do stronger seams on the edges and make it thicker because it's, it's, it's now protruding beyond the, mm-hmm. the, uh, the, the frame. Um, but my, my point was that you could always get up three gallon and put two gallons of gas in it and still yeah, not, not upset your balance. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm thinking uh, for the Moab ride next summer, or this summer. Mm-hmm. I'm glad we're in the new year oh, now. Thank God. <laughs> Spring's right around the corner. Because I'm, I'm looking out, because I got the view of the rail trail. I keep seeing snowmobiles go by, which that reminder of like, nope, you're not, it's not time yet. Snowmobile yep. season still. Well, they're fortunate to be able to be out there today. Yeah. Uh, they haven't had much riding time. Mm-hmm. But for the ride next summer out in, out in Utah, I'm going to just get some rotopacks uh, and just attach them onto the, the side racks. Yeah, because you can do a rotopax and then sling a horseshoe over it. Yep. For bag type, so, or even you know, take my uh, Nelson rig gear uh, bags and, and uh, strap them onto the, the side rotor packs. What I found, and this might not be, you know, I, I do want to get to that in a second, but what I found with the Farkle stuff is that I've actually used, well, I have a GSA, but I, I've used water rotor packs more than my fuel rotor packs because I'll stop for dinner, I'll stop for camping, and I'm putting, you know, eight ounces into a of water into a thing to boil some food i'm making coffee in the morning i'm cleaning my hands i use a gallon of water a day when i'm camping off the bike and with with both the beta the four gallon tank and the gsa i never actually have used my fuel rotopaxes mm. um but but there's not really a market for i guess there's bottled water but there's not like a 
not a lot of people are strapping water to their bike. They're usually strapping gasoline. Um, and maybe we, I just travel differently than most people, but the water thing has been my biggest commodity on the road. So I wanted to ask you, um, so first kind of what you're going to do this summer on the 690, as far as the trip goes. And, and I know you're gonna do a lot of day rides, but the big, but your big trip, but then also how you're preparing for it. Cause I know you've, you've wrapped your bike in carbon fiber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wrap. <laughs> yeah. The, um, the summertime is looking pretty good, you know, between work and uh, a little bit of vacation time. And I'm trying to save up as much time as I can, uh, so I can burn it this summer. But, um, you know, I look to do the new, uh, new England or Northeast, uh, BDR, which is, that's from New York to Maine. Basically yep. it's 1400 miles, I think. Yeah. yeah. Try to fit in as much as that in one trip as possible. Yep. Um, couple rallies around New England. Um, You'll do Crowbag again, probably, because that's a big one for you. Yeah, I like Crowbag. And you had to go back, because you... <laughs> yeah, I toasted the bike the last time I was there. <laughs> had a trailer at home. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, you know, there's another rally up in uh, New Brunswick. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget what it's called, but it looked interesting. Is that one... Can- I think it's Fundy, right? Fundy, That yes. one's canceled this year. Is it? The, okay. So, the, and, and I don't want to interrupt you too much, but basically the family that did it for a few years... You know, basically last year said, if anyone wants to do it, it's yours. But we're, we've just, it's a lot of work to, mm-hmm. to put it on because they had to scout for weeks and get the, the finder, the, the, it's like a, uh, a hide and seek. Uh, you know what I mean? Like you, you define things on the woods, geocaching stuff. Okay. And so they just got tired. So it's not, it's not happening this year, but I know they put it out there that someone wants to do it. And I actually had emailed them going, Hey, if you want help, I'm six hours away, but you know, let me know if I can help. And I didn't get a response back. So I don't, I don't know what, basically it's almost like. If someone wants to do it, just go book the space and you do it, kind of. So, yeah, so. That, that was one place that I wanted to go, and I hope, hopefully, somebody picks it back up yeah. because it, it's amazing territory up there. Um, you know, when it, a couple of years ago when we did the ride up to the top of Nova Scotia, we went through that area and we actually came across this campground and found out that they host the rally at the oh. campground. It was the Wilderness Lodge uh, somewhere in New Brunswick, and uh, Beautiful area, uh, just wonderful trails and yeah. uh, wonderful people that run the lodge. Yeah, people YouTube for Fundy Adventure Rally. The clips are great because they, 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 there's like a easy, medium, hard route, and they don't really care what bike you're on. Whatever route you pick, you know, you're stuck with whatever bike you brought. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of say, well, adventure bikes probably shouldn't take the hard route because you'll you'll probably fail. But you kind of go out and you you don't come back until you've gotten all of your um, your scavenger hunt items. And some of those clips, I mean, there are guys going through water that's up to their waist, and they're they're plowing through stuff, and they're using winches. I mean, it's a it's a it's a it's an exhausting rally. It looked like it, yeah. And then um, beyond, you know, maybe squeezing in a couple of rallies, I do look to go out west, um, trailer the bike out to Colorado, drop mm-hmm. it off somewhere, uh, the car and the trailer, and then hit uh, hit some routes there. And you know, I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos about people riding parts of that uh, southern Colorado, yep. uh, the Alpine Loop, some of the passes. And then um, the idea is then to, after Telluride, to hop on the pavement and go over to Moab, yep. um, do some trail riding out there, maybe White Rim, um, maybe even Slick Rock. You know, yep. I can just Im- imagine me on the 690 on, on Slick Rock. And <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, it's a, not an adventure until you yeah. get yourself into some unique situations. And uh, I have a knack of doing that. And is that going to be like a two-week or so adventure, including like door-to-door, you know, loading up, driving out there? Yeah, I'm going to block off at least two weeks of work. Um, and I'm not sure exactly when, but uh, probably September-ish. Because yeah. um, I don't want to go out there in the blistering heat in the summer. No. 
Uh, you know, speaking of water, that'd yeah. be one of the things that I'd have to also put on the bike in addition to gas is right. a big water can. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, maybe mid to late September, but even then in the mountains of Colorado, it can get kind of cold. And this is a solo trip? I'm planning it solo right now, yeah. but if yeah. I can find somebody that I'm compatible riding with that likes the riding style that I have and that, willing to do a lot too. of camping, yeah. then yeah, I, yeah that's a, that's somebody. A, that's the really hard thing. That's why I almost always intend on going out solo and then you know in a meeting someone right before the event or something but i've and maybe you feel the same way i've been really lucky that the individuals that do tag along on these trips that i want to do happen to be the same space as me mentally and physically mm-hmm. they're not um they're not well we only had, there's only been one time and you were there where i was completely overwhelmed with that kid from vermont on his 250 oh the wheelie just kid? smoking us <laughs> yeah. i mean it was me you and scott and he and he initiated the ride, and I said, "I'm going to be on a because I didn't have the beta at the time." I said, "I'm going to be on a big adventure bike, so I already know you're going to leave me behind." And you guys did, and that's fine. But he was he was a hooligan. Uh, I think he had more balls than uh, than you know brain. It's, but, but he was a younger guy, right? Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not shitting on him. But that was the only the only ride I've ever been on where I'm like, this I can never ride extended with this guy because it wouldn't be fun for him or me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like other than that, I've been super lucky to to ride with guys like you and and Scott and Jesse and um, uh, Jackton and you know it's and I think a lot of it just comes from um, well you know I don't have I have a low skill so I don't usually ride with guys in their twenties because they're going to be way faster than me. I ride with guys a little bit older because they just don't want to break anything. Uh, and, go to work <laughs> and and they're more and they're more you know chill. They they they're enjoying the ride more than just getting there as fast as possible. Um, and that's, that's kind of one of my thoughts. I don't know if you were following the Northeast BDR thread on adventure rider the past 24 hours, but you know, someone said, I only get a couple of days off to do this trip. I'm going to do it in five days. And then I unfortunately latched on and said, yeah, me too. I'm going to marathon it cause I have places to be. And then the next two pages were, you know, life's too short. You know, you gotta you gotta take in the sights. You need to make it nine days. You guys, you know, aren't aren't real riders. You're just racing through. It. And then the BDR account jumped in and said, "We designed this to be a nine day ride. It really should be. You know, you should patronize the local places and 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 stop in the restaurants and give people your money." Like it turned into a whole like philosophical approach to how people ride. Which there's millions of us. You can't mm-hmm. impose any one single way of doing the ride. Um, and Luckily, there was there was a couple people that that kind of came to the defense of the two of us that started, it, and I kind of dropped out of the conversation. But what I'm trying to get at is, it's really important that you ride with individuals that, that share your credo about how you want to do your trips, right? Or do a solo. Yeah, if you match up with somebody with your riding style and your um, philosophy of riding, you know, and and you complement one another and you you appreciate one another. And willing to stop whenever they feel like stopping and enjoy the view or get yeah. out the camera or the drone. You know, that, that's, that's key. I mean, it's slowing down, enjoying the ride. It's more than just racing from point A to point B. If you want to do that, then you obviously ought to be joining a, a race somewhere. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's, when you think about some of these r- routes that people plan, and as long as you're respecting uh, you know, the landowners and mm-hmm. the environment, and, um, you know, I think... It's in your right to do it your own pace. Yeah. Um, you know, if you don't want to stop and enjoy the, the birds and the bees and uh, the, the beautiful scenery of New England, well, mm-hmm. by all means, keep on rolling. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's for me anyway. An adventure is enjoying the scenery, enjoying the environment, 
and getting to know people along the way. And yep. that, that's that's part of it. That's why I in enjoy Moab, it so much. In the Moab riding, there's so much. It, it's easy to mistake. And if you're not familiar with the area, if you haven't watched any YouTube videos, it's easy to mistake the area as just boring, rocky desert with some some peaks. But it's gorgeous. Everywhere you look around uh, there, yeah. it's, it's, it's just an amazing place. The colors of the rocks, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, those big tower rocks, big canyons. Yep. I'm, I'm so looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I can't watch, stop watching videos of it. <laughs> <laughs> a, there's a, but there's um, a lot of good ones out there, and I appreciate all of them. Have you come across the guy, I can't pronounce his name, but it's, it's spelled P-L-A-W-A, Plawa. Uh, his name's Martin. He, I started watching his YouTube videos uh, because he was a GS rider and he was taking his GS to places that I like to go with my GS. He's not just doing the typical, like, here's slab for the next eight hours. Mm-hmm. And then um, he started taking a lot of classes for enduro and trials. He's in New Mexico. And then um, and then he started, like, then he bought a, a, a KTM, like, 450, I think. And he also bought a trials bike, an electric trials bike. And then his videos, really, the GS rally kind of got left in the, you know, for, as a commuter, and he started doing a lot of these road trips. And the last one was like a four-day Moab trip on their KTMs. And it's over four parts, and it's really a good video. And the crazy thing about him is he is a European EU resident, but was living here on like an expat, that kind of program for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And now he's moved back to Europe. So, you know, that was kind of his last, just, just an indication of how great Moab is. His last big bike trip before he went back to the, Europe was, was Moab. Because that, okay. that was his bucket list to ride. You have to send me the link. It, it was a good. It was a nice. And it, it's he does a nice job. And I don't do a great job of this. He does a nice job of the people he's riding with are the stars of the show. So he takes his time to point his camera at them more than just his handlebars talking to himself, which is what mm-hmm. I do. And I think making his buddies the stars of the show makes it more exciting because he almost becomes a cameraman for their experiences and the, the tricks they're doing. And like, so when they're going to a rock face, he runs to the top of the hill to get his camera ready and films them doing it, which is a lot better video than just a helmet cam. Mm-hmm. So good guy. Yeah. There's a gentleman that lives in Moab. Um, his name's Tyler. Mm-hmm. I forget his last name. But he has the Everide channel on YouTube, mm-hmm. and he makes great videos. You know, he has a lot of drone footage. He has camera footage off the helmet. Uh, he puts the GoPro uh, on a stick and hangs oh. it off his backpack, so you get a nice, wow. you know, yeah. uh, downward-looking view of the trail and uh, helmet and things like that. And he does these rallies out there. And I'm thinking, well, if I'm a little nervous about maybe you know riding solo in the desert, I'm not so worried about the the uh, you know, the common routes through the mountain passes in, in, in uh, Colorado, but it's the remote desert that I'm a little concerned about. Yep. Um, then maybe I'll just, you know, sign up for one of his rallies uh, right. in the fall and, and join him and his group because he'll also take great footage, yeah. <laughs> which is always <laughs> nice to have. When you're done with the ride yeah. and it's dead of winter yeah. and you look back at the things you've done the prior year or years, um, it's nice to have good footage of some of those events. Yeah, lately I've had that problem, and this is a, a very individual issue with me. And so I've been um, over the winter. So as you understand, winter is kind of that like people think, oh my god, six months of winter, I couldn't live deal with it. But actually, we find a way to fill our time up here. We tear the bikes down, we get our gear ready, we spend time with our loved ones because they don't see us all summer, mm-hmm. and then we we sort of start preparing the technical map, you know, preparations for our trips. And we somehow fill the time. So the, the thing I've been doing this this winter is trying to, um, um, not trying to, but I have a couple of like 
companies that I've been trying to work with. And their biggest thing is, well, where are your lifestyle photos? And I'm not the kind of person that would stop and like put a camera on a tripod, set a timer and like lean on the bike or sit like get a flat tire and then put the camera 20 feet away and then do a time lapse of me fixing a flat tire. I just, want, I just want to get back on the road. I don't want to make it. I don't want to make it an episode of like and the, and the, you've probably seen these pictures of like sitting on the bike when it's, it's on the ground and just sort of looking like, you know, or and I don't do those kind of poses. Mm-hmm. So I don't have any lifestyle photos of me as a rider because I'll take photos of you guys. I'll take photo of a nice Vista or the bike against a nice backdrop. But then I get back on the bike and I just want to ride more. And I found that if you, if you start to think about, there's a, there's a Reddit, there's a subreddit called, um, why were they filming? Because sometimes some of it's like, yeah, this is a crazy thing that happened. Like, you know, a car accident or a bike accident or a guy falling off a cliff or hanging. But why were they filming this? Like, it's almost like, it's not quite as conspiracy theory thing. But it's like, why were they even filming this to begin with? Because the odds of this thing happening is so rare. Um, if you start to look at Instagram on these kind of adventure rider uh, touring profiles, you'll start to wonder, well, they're a solo traveler. How did they get these photo- photos of them riding? Well, they obviously set up a camera yeah. and they went back ahead, a mile yeah. <laughs> and then they blast through and throw a rooster tail in the air. And it's like that, that was a, f- that was five miles of, of time that they sacrificed to get the good shot. Mm-hmm. And that's what the, the sponsors want to see is like, they want to say, Oh, he's running Kenda tires and he did this rooster tail. But like, is it really worth a $120 tire to spend an hour every trip filming tire videos? I don't that, 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 that to me hasn't quite become like a value proposition for me is, and so I'm not really like investing in it because it's like, and, and then to think that I'm riding with you guys, I just want to ride with you guys. I don't want to say, Hey guys, let's, let's stop for an hour. I got to film an advertisement that just, it seems like kind of BS to me, but no point expanding upon the subject. I was yeah. just wanted to say it out loud. Well, I kind of appreciate a variety of videos when I sit down in the long winter months in front of the TV and <laughs> uh, watch different uh, uh, YouTube clips. Uh, you know, I can appreciate those those writers are out there that are filming every day, and kudos to them. You know, they're they're spending the time to capture all kinds of elements of their adventure, mm-hmm. and I I appreciate that. And uh, you know, I'll give them the thumbs up, and I'll subscribe, and, and really en- enjoy them and watch their videos uh, time and time and again. And uh, then there's some that are just you know quick clips off their helmet cam, and yeah. those are fine too. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not real choosy. Yep. Um, you know, I appreciate all kinds. And um, you know, when, you, when you talk about those stage photos, well, when you're riding solo and you're trying to support your channel and, True. Um, you know, give meaningful content and, and regular content to your audience, well, then yep. you got to have those different angles, I That's think. True. Uh, in, in fact, I was watching a, a channel recently and I forget what it's called, but uh, these guys have bought this f- fabulous drone. And the footage they're getting from this drone, because they're out in the desert, mm-hmm. and they're not too worried about bumping into things, but yep. they're, they're, their drone is following them up and down through these canyons, and cool. they're getting some really spectac- spectacular footage, Yep, uh, which I really appreciate, aerial footage like that. Because you're not only you're looking at the bike, but you're looking at the beautiful scenery in the background and there's some of the challenging terrain that they're going through, which is hard to get when you're just looking mm-hmm. at somebody's helmet cam. Uh, you really don't understand the, yeah, you know, the, 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 the steepness of that mm-hmm. uh, hill that they're going up or rocks that they're going over. Well, it's like that, 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 
the perspective is way off because not only do you have kind of a fisheye camera doing all this job, but but you're not able to sort of, it's almost like forest of the trees. You're not able to take a step back and go, wow, this is like a, a gorgeous land that you're riding through right now because all I see is 50% of the frame is handlebars, seat, and like crotch, and then 50% is whatever's right in front of your field of view, which you're just trying not to run into a rock. Um, and I want to go back to Moab for a second. So there are, there, there, are, there are elements of your trip planning that, like things that you want to impart on others that you learned about the area, about the climate, the the kind of what what you may need that to, that was news to you when you were going through kind of that preparation. Um, well, you know, I'll probably have a better perspective after I get back, uh, but certain things I know that I want to take with me, and one thing uh, is wilderness safety um, mm-hmm. and and first aid. So there's an upcoming course that's going to be hosted. Are you doing the thing with Jesse? Yeah. Oh, cool. Um, so I'm going to participate in that because hopefully I'll never need it. But if I do, I, I myself or somebody else, well, it'll be great to have that knowledge of how to, to, to provide first aid in such a situation. Uh, then the other thing is having a um, um, GPS that has uh, remote um, satellite connection, yeah. So as we talked about earlier. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, uh, taking it at your own pace, you know, going slow because mm-hmm. you got some really rough terrain, a lot of drop-offs. Uh, so don't rush it and, and be very cognizant of, of, of your environment and it's don't not run, a, ride above your ability. It's not a super hospitable area. It's really, I mean, at this point, humans have basically developed everything. So if, if it's not, you know, epicenter of, of, of commerce, there's a reason why. So you kind of need to almost say that as like a hint of, okay, I need to be respectful of this, this, this terrain. Absolutely. Yeah. Put yourself in a situation you might not get out of it. Um, One of the stories I tell people a lot, and I do want to get back to the wilderness training. Um, there was and this a guy a couple years ago at a rally told me this story. He was on, of course, he was on a GS. That's all the people that I, I hang out with at rallies. Uh, not by design, it's just BMW people. And he was he was not, it wasn't Moab, but it was like Joshua Tree, tree Area, Badlands, kind of one of those areas. And he was out riding on his own because he always travels alone. He was going from like Vegas to maybe Arizona or New Mexico, one of those areas. And um, without exploring some of those, you know, BLM sort of lands where there's just not, there's no one out there. It's all federal land. And he, he was riding along and I guess sand got the best of him and he, the drop, the bike dropped, but broke his leg, crushed his leg. And he had no communicator. He couldn't get the bike off of him. He was just there and it was about 4.30 p.m., so sure, he was roasting and miserable for about an hour, but then it dropped to like 25 degrees because that's just how it is at night there. So all he could get to was his like safety blanket and his little aluminum foil thing, covered himself with that and just laid there until the next morning around noon, once again, blistering hot again, couldn't get access to water and just a truck came by and saw him. But he was completely, I mean, he was screwed. He mm-hmm. would have died out there if someone had not come by. And, you know, luckily he didn't go off like some of the dirt bikers do and kind of do rock climbing and stuff like that. He stayed on the trail. But, um, you know, he, he now rides with a satellite communicator and he always tells people where he's going to be. That's his two rules now. And, mm-hmm. and he still rides alone, but he also he's also moved to soft luggage because that it was the pannier that crushed yeah, his leg back up. there. Yeah. And that he, to, to hear him tell the story, it wasn't like he wasn't preaching. He just really got caught up in the moment of like, you know, reliving it, like verbal ver- vocalizing it was like, you could tell he thought he was going to die mm-hmm. out there. And, uh, you know, he was like happy that he's alive, but here's the, here's what he learned from that experience. So, um, the wilderness training is 
acronym WFA. It's a it's a globally recognized because if you Google it, there's a lot of them going around the nation. But I don't know if you want to tell people about it of what. Well, I don't know much about it myself, okay. actually, um, but hope to learn more. <laughs> yeah, it's two days, right? It's two days, and I think you have a two-year certification. Okay. Um, so, what the certification gets you, I don't know. But uh, I thought Jesse needed it because when he does guided tours, it helps him get guided tours because they 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 look at that and say, "Oh, you you at least aren't going to leave someone, you know, okay. stranded." Like he, it's almost like a resume item for him to have it. I think. All right. Um, but for you and I, it would just help us. I mean, even, prepared, yeah. But even though the cert's only over two, it's almost like CPR. You really should go get it every five, ten years. But it, even if you're not certified anymore, you at least know how to do it. Mm-hmm. So that would that would be. I think it's to be a life, a life, not life changer, but it's good for both of us to have it because you never know. Yeah. Even if we don't use it, even though we're in the Northeast and things are relatively close, but. Mm-hmm. You know, five miles can make a difference, whether you're five miles yeah. or 25 miles into the wilderness. There's, there's when always... I was a kid, I was, I learned the hard way. Um, you know, I, I mentioned the time it took me to get out of the woods, um, you know, an extra day because I was so far in. But, you know, there was this time I was riding solo and I was just, uh, you know, going up into the woods and crossing over logs and then, um, you know, kind of just bushwhacking it through the, the forest. Yep. And I was pretty far from home and I, I hit crossed the bike on a log mm. and I fell down over another log and right between my arm and my body, I landed uh, a really sharp stick mm. uh, that was sticking out of the log yep. and right between my arm and my, my chest. Wow. And I had a chest protector on, but it, it really woke me up. It was yeah. an epiphany moment where I said, if I had landed just a couple inches over, I could have impaled myself on that log, yeah. uh, on that stick. And, um, and there I would have been. And, you know, back in... 1988, you know, I had to just tell my parents, well, I'm going to go that way, you know, and <laughs> off into the forest. Yeah. And, you know, they wouldn't know where to find me. You know, 25-mile no. radius would have been lucky if I was. Because Allegheny is, uh, how many square miles that is it? I have no idea. Several it's, hundred. It's huge. But it's, it's huge. I mean, you, you can get not found out there if you really get out yeah. get lost. And there's a lot of fire roads, old logging roads, uh, lease roads that we used to call for the oil industry. Yeah. Uh, crisscrossing everywhere. But so. even a mile off the road... No one's going to know that you're up on the, over that hill over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, I, I, and I saw you earlier, and I, I know we probably want to wrap this up soon. But uh, I saw you earlier asking Jesse about the where he keeps his inreach, you know, kind of on him versus, mm-hmm. and and you know, I think everyone pretty much agrees having it on you is most important because you ne- you never know where you're going to land. You're not going to your bike will be over here and you can't get to it. Um, how I guess. When you look at the cost of that per year, it's it's really expensive. Um, it's back to the whole argument earlier of that 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 cost benefit ratio. Um, I'm sure you hope that you never have to use it, but is there a if after ten years of paying this into this every month, are you eventually going to go? Well, I haven't eaten in ten years. Screw it, I'm not going to. Yeah, good question. Um, and I suspect, and and I think the advantage of with with Garmin is that you can activate it and run it for. Th- two or three months out of the year, deactivate it, and then start it back up again, which is really nice, uh, unlike what I understand the spot spot program is. You you activate it, you pay a year subscription. Yeah, and it's great if you're in New Mexico or California. You know, I've seen that up here, I I think I activate the Freedom Plan on my inReach, and it's, I think it's $40 a month, but it's unlimited texting and weather and something else, topo maps or something. But I only run it from like June to September, and, and, and those last those, those first couple of fringe months, I don't usually do anything crazy because it's 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 cold, icy, wet, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it it cost 
at that rate, you know, 150 a year, which isn't that bad. And, and then I turn it off. Whereas the spot is like 250 a year, but you have to, you have to use it real year round for it to pay for itself. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hopefully you never need it, but as soon as you do, you're going to be grateful that you, you have it Yeah, and have that coverage and, and get that support. Uh, but I found the, um, what's really cool from, for me having that in reach was because it's always running. Um, when I get home and I want to send someone the tracks, there is, there's no doubt. I just say, here's, I go to the website, the InReach website, and I just download the GPX tracks from my trip and mail them off to someone. So that's kind of cool too. If you're, if you're trying to build a route, but you don't want to worry about route planning, you just want to ride, oh, this looks cool. This dead ends. Let mm-hmm. me go here. When you get back, you get that GPX file and you can clip out the dead ends that you experienced and have a, have a route to share with people. Nice. So You'll that's a cool show feature. me how that works. Yeah. <laughs> when that, I get that, one. I that's pretty, that, that's a nice, cause it's, it's you know, you, I'm sure you and I are the same boat here doing sitting in base camp and doing dot and dot and dot for like eight hours sucks. Um, and so the fact that you're making your own base camp file on your bike is, is kind of cool. Anything else we didn't go over that you, you wanted to bring up? No, no, I think it's been a good, great conversation. Um, I appreciate you inviting me into your first fo- podcast yeah. and uh i think it's going pretty well well i told heather it's gonna be like only 10 people listen to it so i don't you know you can pretty much screw up and it's not a big deal but then she had told me that she goes back and she listens to the first episodes forward when she finds a new podcast so if you're listening to this in like 2025 <laughs> i'm sorry that this was so crappy in quality and you know those kind of things because i'm sure these first few are going to be not not the guest but just the it's a learning lot of work. curve yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, like but, now I take adva- I take for granted how easy it is to edit a video and like I, I have a, a process now to get a video from from GoPro to YouTube and th- going, you know, dealing with audio files is brand new to me. So we should, assuming that, you know, it's a great year, things are great, you go you go to cool places, we should probably do this maybe end a year and just see kind of, you know, catch up with you and see how it went. Glad to fun. share my, my adventures. Cool. Anything else? No. Yeah. Sweet. Thank you. Well, thanks, Harry. Uh, you could find uh, Harry on Adventure Rider as Red Card. You can send him all of your uh, your Moab tips. Is that okay with you? Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> all, all eight of you that have been to Moab. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening, and uh, thanks, Harry, for being on the podcast. You're welcome.